It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected and picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we are going to talk to Brett Coleman again today. We talked to him yesterday about why he thinks the Jets aced the NFL draft. I also wanted to talk to him about another video that he made about Denzel Mims. He called it Sleeper Superstar. He's a big believer in Denzel Mims. So I wanted to ask him all about why and get into the nuts and bolts of his video. So, Brett, we talked a little bit about Mims before the draft. But to be honest with you, I never in a million years expected him to be available when the Jets picked at 48, let alone be available if they traded down to number 59 at the end of round two. But there he was for the taking and Joe Douglas pounced on him. I wanted to ask you about why you think he dropped in this draft, because for me, I looked at it and I thought, well, this feels a lot like DK Metcalf, not in the sense that they're similar style receivers and not that they had similar production, because as we know, Denzel Mims had 2000 yard seasons at Baylor and Metcalf didn't have anywhere near that type of production. But both guys projected to be really good wide receivers in the NFL. And it felt to me, Brett, like a lot of these executives and coaches and scouts talked themselves out of a really good player for no real reason. With Metcalf, it was that insanity with the three-cone drill. With Mims, you heard all this stuff about him being a system player and how he can't run routes. But in reality, if you looked at the tape and you looked at the traits, there's no reason that either one of these two should have slipped to the late second round. And it reminds me a lot of another guy that you brought up in your video, Devontae Adams, who I thought was a first-round talent. I watched him a lot at Fresno State because I was watching Derek Carr at the time. And every time I watched Derek Carr, there was Devontae Adams. But he slipped to the second round because it was the same thing as Mims, always a system player. Do you think that that's really what happened here, that a lot of these general managers and decision-makers and front offices just overthought this? Yeah, I still don't know exactly why he slipped as much as he did. Um, I don't know if it was a personality clash thing. Cause I, I know in, in Philly, like people in particular in Philly, like Eagles fans did not want Denzel Mims cause mm-hmm. he made some comments about the city of Philadelphia in terms of he honestly was innocent comments. So I, I, I don't know if it was that, or I, I don't know if there was maybe they didn't think his play speed was fast enough because even though he timed it four three eight he didn't he didn't play to four three eight he's still fast but he's not like four three eight fast maybe it was limited route trio I'm not really sure because at the Senior Bowl he ran every route and he ran it really well like he was the most dominant receiver at the Senior Bowl especially in the one on ones which to me is extremely important because you're going against future pro corners 
and he was kicking the crap out of them, like on every single route. He was throwing them all over the place. You know, maybe wide receiver coaches thought that he was going to be an OPI machine, but I mean, God, as a Jets fan, you know better than anybody. DeAndre Hopkins is an offensive pass interference machine, but if you don't get called, who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he, he 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 pushes off on every single throw, but he never gets called. So, like, I don't necessarily care that Denzel Denzel Mims pushes off a lot because a lot of receivers push off a lot. Like, refs are not going to throw the flag. Uh, it's like it's a legitimate play style. So, I I don't really get it. He's big. He's a physical route runner. He has excellent ball skills. He's an artist on the sideline in terms of keeping his feet in bounds and making tough catches on back shoulder fades. Like uh, he's a legitimate number one wide receiver. I don't get why he fell. And, and all of the little nitpicks, the push offs, um, the not playing to his speed, the potentially limited route tree, like none of that seems like a real enough concern to push him down past the 50th pick. I, I do not get it. There have been some concerns expressed about him having some trouble at times getting off press, but from what I watched, he faced press a lot and actually did a pretty good job most of the time getting off press, and that to me kind of offsets the criticism also of him being a system-wide receiver because when you look at somebody like CeeDee Lamb, he was constantly left alone, never pressed. Mims was pressed a lot and he had to earn the releases. He had to earn the yardage. He had to earn those catches, at least from what I saw. Is that how you felt watching this? Yeah. I mean, he had dudes draped all over him, which I, nothing against CD Lamb. I love CD Lamb. He, he went uh, lower than I thought he should. You know, I, he was my number one receiver in this class, technically. Uh, it was kind of tied between the three of them, but. Overall, if I was given the choice, I would take CD just because I think he's a little bit more versatile. But you're right. Like, Mims got pressed more than CD did, and he still was extremely productive. And even when he was covered, he was open because he's really good in 50-50 ball scenarios. And so I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing if a receiver can still win even when he's covered. Like, that's that's an important skill set because in the NFL, you're going to face really good corners that are going to be in phase with you no matter what you do. You better be able to catch the ball in contested situations. So I think Sam is really going to like him because he's going to be able to throw back shoulder fades and just say, okay, Denzel, go make me right. And he will. That's, that's what he does. So I, again, he should not have been drafted as low as he was. I think his skill set is valuable as a true boundary receiver that can go win on jump balls. He's physical as a route runner. He throws DBs all over the place. Um, he's got a little bit of deep speed. Again, he's he's not playing to four three eight, but he has enough deep speed to threaten you and, and kind of scare safeties a little bit. Like he is a very very good, very complete receiver. Yeah, and the dead leg release, which you pointed out in your video, I think, is a really interesting tool that he used to his advantage in a variety of different ways. So I don't know that you necessarily need to have a huge route tree when you can find ways to get the ball. Like you said, he's open even when he's not open. He's got the speed. He's got the size. He's got the ability to get those 50-50 balls. But he can be tricky like that with that dead leg release. So can you explain exactly what that was for those who haven't seen your video? Yeah, I'm trying to remember which game it was. I think it was the Texas game it's kind of setting up a release and he was using um, a release earlier. Uh, I, I think it was on a slant, if I remember correctly, where he used a certain release and then he kind of came back and used the same release called a dead leg release 
uh, and kind of faked the slant and then took it upfield down the boundary for a touchdown. And, you know, that's the kind of mind games that you need to have in the pros. You need to be able to have an arsenal of different releases that you can use the same release or at least kind of fake using the same release for different routes and get corners just to take one bad step. If you can get them to take one bad step and then you can explode past them down the field, that's really all you can do to create a window of separation in the NFL because uh, that, that's about all you're going to get. So I, I think having that kind of subtlety to them and the ability to use a release and then come back and then kind of use the same release or at least fake using the same release and then kind of have a progression off of that, the mind games that come with that, I think are an important skill set for a young receiver to have. And uh, again, I have a lot of confidence in his ability to continue to grow as a route runner and, and maximize his skill set that way. What's interesting to me about Denzel Mims, Brett, is that I think that there are little bits and pieces of a bunch of really good wide receivers in him. And I don't know that you necessarily compare him to any one particular receiver, but you could say in this area, he reminds me of this guy. In that area, he reminds me of that guy. And one guy that he definitely reminded me of in a variety of ways is Brandon Marshall. Like you said, his ability to use his body positioning and body control to get those 50-50 balls, even his blocking and just his physicality, his ability to win in the red zone. Did you see that a little bit, some Brandon Marshall in his game? Yeah, Brandon was bigger than him, but Denzel plays to Brandon's size. You know, you would think that he's 6'5", 230 with, with how physically he plays and how well he uses his length. Um, that's an interesting comparison that I hadn't really thought about, but it, it makes a lot of sense because Brandon was, I mean, he was an MMA fighter that happened to be <laughs> playing wide receiver, super physical. And I think Denzel is the same kind of way. You even see that, as you mentioned, as a, as a run blocker, I mean, he actually blocks, you know, he doesn't just kind of get in the way. Like he wants to drive his man down the field, ultra physical, uh, hard nosed player. Uh, he's exactly what I would want, honestly, in my number one receiver. And uh, that's why I had him. I think it was like 22nd or 21st overall in my mock draft. I, I love everything about him. Between Denzel Mims and Makai Becton, you have to figure that somewhere Le'Veon Bell is smiling right now, right? I mean, it's it's Denzel, it's Mackay, it's Clark. I mean, this is going to be a great run-blocking offense. And I, I think Le'Veon finally uh, is happy to have some help there. Another receiver that I think was interesting that you compared him to was DeAndre Hopkins. And it's because of the fact that he's able to use his hands to get that last second separation. And it's very hard to do that without getting offensive pass interferences. Like you said, DeAndre Hopkins is somebody that most people feel should be an OPI machine, but he isn't. Michael Irvin was somebody that should have been an OPI machine, but he wasn't. And so Mims could sort of be in that category. Tell me a little bit about what you see there, because I love the way you put it. You said that Denzel Mims, just like Michael Irvin... And just like DeAndre Hopkins viewed playing the wide receiver position as a moving boxing match. Yeah, and and they're very good at timing their push offs. You know, if they feel a corner grabbing onto them, they know the ref is not gonna call it. Because if there's mutual hand fighting, the ref is not gonna throw the flag, especially not on offense. If anything, they'll throw it on defense. And so if they feel a tug, that is their almost permission slip from the ref to then push off. As long as their eyes are on the ball, if they get that tug, it's green light. I'm, I'm pushing off. I'm creating that separation. But they will wait until the last possible moment. 
and they kind of disguise it. You know, they don't just give a flat little arm bar. You know, they, they, as they bring their hands up to the ball, they push off as they do that, almost like kind of an arcing motion. It's not push and then raise. It's all in one motion. So you almost can't even tell it's happening in real time, especially if, uh, you know, the ref is kind of behind the man that's covering you and he can't quite see exactly what you're doing. And it's a, just a little split second move. It's super subtle, but man, is it gross when it works, which for Denzel, it works a lot. One other receiver that you compared him to, and this is where I'm saying you get little bits and pieces of receivers and you blend them together and that's what makes up Denzel Mims' game, was Jordy Nelson. And that was really interesting because I hadn't thought of Jordy Nelson, but there really is a part of his game that compares very well to Jordy Nelson's. Talk about that a little bit. Particularly on back shoulder balls. You know, Jordy had a talent for his, his exceptional timing with Aaron Rodgers and knowing his landmarks. And the thing is, back shoulder balls, they're only going to work if you set up the corner a certain way. You have to put the DB in position to be on the opposite side of of the ball uh, from your body. Like, you have to be able to push him up the field so that when the ball is behind you on your back shoulder, they are on the other side of you and you can't do anything about it. If you're kind of looking early for the ball and almost really guiding the DB to it with your eyes – they're going to stop short and undercut it and pick it off. We saw that happen, ironically, against Baylor to Jalen Hurts, where it was, a, it was a switch route, and he was trying to throw a back shoulder ball from a far hash, and the receiver started looking at Jalen before he even threw the ball. So the DB just looked back and stopped and said, oh, okay, ball's coming here. Like, you have to be extremely disciplined and know your landmarks, push the DB up the field with a hard release, keep your eyes down the field, and then just trust that the ball is coming to you. You have to feel where the DB is and then trust it's coming to you. Stop, turn around, know that it's going to be there right at 22 yards, extend and pluck the ball. He's, he's got an excellent trust with his quarterback, and he knows how to put the DB in the exact worst spot to handle a back shoulder ball. And he also has pretty good instincts where if he feels that he's getting a step vertically on the DB, he knows it's not going to be back shoulder, and he just takes off and goes down the field for a go route. So, uh, again, he's very smart at working the boundary, just like Jordy, and he's very smart at knowing exactly where the ball is going to be based on how he sets the DB up. Uh, there's a million little things that go into running a nine route and then snapping it off for a back shoulder, and he's already mastered that. So, I, again, he's as long as he and Sam can get on the same page on that one route, he's going to be productive just on that one route. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. 
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. You touched on this a little bit earlier, but you've mentioned before that you think that Denzel Mims is an underrated route runner, which is funny because that's one of the things that everybody was holding on to. They would say that he was a product of the system at Baylor and that he's not a polished route runner. What are your thoughts on that, and why do you think that he's underrated in that department when everybody else seems to think that he needs so much work? I think a lot of the people that don't think he's a good route runner don't know how to run route because he's a really good route runner, <laughs> uh, at least for his skill set. Like, I'm not saying he's Jerry Judy. Very few people are. But he's a lot more subtle to, to his, his routes than, than people think. He uses a lot of different releases. Um, he's very good at setting DBs up uh, in terms of leverage and then taking that leverage from them with his physicality at the last second. Again, the subtle little push-offs, the head fakes, the timing. You know, I, I think people that maybe aren't familiar with a lot of the nuances that go into running routes. Cause again, running routes, it's not just I'm running a post and it's a little sharp cut. Like the sharpness of a cut is not route running. Like that's just a physical ability. The art of route running is about getting to the exact right spot on the field at the exact right time and finishing the catch. And, and it doesn't matter if you, win early if you lose late and it doesn't matter if you lose early if you if you win late like you have to win both early and late at the very minimum you have to win late because that's when the ball is coming to you and he's very good at winning late so I, I every wide receiver coach I've talked to and everybody who's um kind of in that world of wide receiver coaching and mentoring really likes Denzel Mims because they see the subtleties that he does. Is it as clean as Judy? No. Is it as flashy as CD? No. But it's really damn effective and he knows what he's doing. Uh and, and I think I think people might need to go back to the tape on that one if they don't think he's a good route runner. Do the drops concern you at all? Um, a little bit, but they're, they're more concentration drops. Uh, I think when he's really dialed in, you know, we see him make circus catches along the sideline. So I'm not really worried about his hands. I think sometimes he just kind of takes his eye off of the ball a little bit too early. Maybe sometimes he's, he's hearing footsteps and he's trying to adjust late or maybe he's trying to turn up field too early. 
uh, it's very similar to Jalen Rager, where again, it was, it was concentration drops, not just, I have bad hands drops and, and they're two very different things. In this draft, you mentioned that you had Denzel Mims projected as one of the guys that could become a number one wide receiver. And that's sort of how I saw it. I thought you had that very top tier where you had rugs, Judy and lamb, whichever order you rank them in those three, all certainly have potential to be a number one wide receiver. Then after that, whatever order you want to rank them, T. Higgins, Jalen Ragor, Brandon Ayuk, Justin Jefferson, and Denzel Mims. Is that how you saw it, that those guys were on that top tier of guys that could become a number one wide receiver? Because I look at somebody like Pittman, Chenault, good receivers, Van Jefferson, but I don't think that they have that type of upside. When I look at Denzel Mims, I see him in that category. Again, maybe not quite on the level of Judy, Lamb, or Ruggs, but right there on that next level. When I look at Mims, that's what I see in terms of long-term potential. And for me to get him at number 59 is an absolute steal if that's how you feel. But that's more or less what your conclusion was, right? Yeah, uh, I had Jefferson as my wide receiver four after the big three. But again, it's a different role than Mims. Mims is a better outside receiver. Jefferson, I think, is kind of at home as a big slot who can play outside, but really he's better in the slot. Um, and then at number six, I had Donovan Peoples-Jones, which turned a lot of heads, but I think he's going to end up being a lot better pro than people think. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was unfortunately in a very bad offense in Michigan, but you, you put him in you put him in LSU, and I think he produces just as much as Justin Jefferson, to be honest. Uh, and then I had Michael Pittman at seven, who I also think was kind of a forgotten receiver in this class. And Pittman and uh, uh, Mims, I think you could have taken either one of them with the Jets, and it would have been a great fit. I know a lot of people thought Pittman might be kind of reunited with Sam uh, at the top of the second round there. It, unfortunately, the Colts took him before they even had a shot to, but I, I, I would have been totally fine with either one of them, even though I had Mims rated higher. But I think they're both going to be excellent boundary receivers, and uh, I'm excited to see kind of how their careers take shape. You talked about this a little bit, but tell me more about how you think he would fit with Sam Darnold. I think, if nothing else, he gives them an instant red zone weapon that the Jets haven't had in a long time and certainly something that Sam Darnold hasn't had here with the Jets. How do you think they fit together, Sam Darnold and Denzel Mims? They, they finally have a weapon that can punish man coverage. You know, they, they have somebody that can get into that boxing match with Stephon Gilmore outside and not just get his ass kicked because Stephon is extremely physical. They need a receiver who can kind of give it back to him. I'm really excited to watch Denzel against Gilmore because, again, these two guys just – they pride themselves on physicality and fighting all the way down the field, and you need a receiver that can hold up against that. You, you will not beat the Patriots if you do not have a receiver that can give Denzel – or that can give Gilmore, excuse me, um, back that level of physicality. That's why DeAndre Hopkins gives the Patriots so much trouble is because he beats them up. They have arguably the best secondary in the league, but he wins with physicality. And I think the Jets saw that on tape and they said, we need a guy that can go beat them up. And that's exactly what Denzel is. So uh, I, I love that projection. It gives them somebody who can beat man coverage and be open even when he's not open gives Sam a red zone weapon, a boundary weapon that can win on fades. Uh, I I love everything about it. Brett, you and I both really like Denzel Mims, and so does Sam Monson from PFF, but he declared that Denzel Mims was a loser, not 
a loser as a player, but that he was a loser on draft day because of the situation he went into. And this is what he said, and it caused quite a stir among Jets fans. He said, Denzel Mims is a loser. I love Denzel Mims. I think in abstract terms, he might have been the third best receiver in this draft, but I'm tremendously confident he's not going to survive well on the Jets because I just think the situation is awful. The quarterback still isn't good. The system isn't good. They basically have five to six coin flips on the offensive line. Who the hell knows what that offensive line is going to look like? I love Denzel Mims, and I honestly can't think of a worse place for him to land than the Jets. What do you think of those comments? Do you think that's true? Do you think that that Denzel Mims, for as talented as he is, is destined for failure here with the Jets because of the system he's in? Do you think that Adam Gase maybe dooms him? Or is Sam Monson maybe being a little too much of a Debbie Downer? Really? He can't think of a worse situation? <laughs> Has he never seen the Chicago Bears? You really think Denzel Mims would be productive in Chicago with Mitchell Trubisky throwing the ball? Come on now, Sam. You're better than that. I don't know if a lot of Jets fans would agree with you that Sam is better than that at this point, but I certainly think that there are worse situations. And like you said, I'm really looking forward to him working with Sam Darnold. All told, though, how do you think that he would fit in this offense based on knowing what Adam Gase likes to do? Do you think he's going to struggle a little bit off the bat? Are you worried about that? I'm not a huge Adam Gase guy. And to be honest, not a lot of Jets fans probably are. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, maybe this time next year we're talking about how he fits in an Eric Bieniemy offense. I'll just say that. Um, but theoretically, if Adam just lets him do what he does best, which is go win on jump balls on the boundary, yeah, he can be productive as a rookie. Will Gase let him do that? Uh, I guess we'll find out. I, I hope he does. Give me a projection, Brett. How do you think that Mims is going to do over the next year or two? And then what do you think his career looks like? I know in your video reviewing the Jets draft, you said that you think he has a good chance to be a number one wide receiver for the Jets for the next four to six years. That's how you feel, obviously, with the upside. But if you had to put on your prediction cap, do you think that's the most likely outcome or is that just your most hopeful outcome? Um, again, I think it depends a lot on how his coaches use him. We saw Devontae Parker start flourishing magically as soon as Adam Gates left the building. So hopefully the same thing doesn't have to happen to Mims where it takes a few years to come along. Um, hopefully Adam kind of learned from that and he sees a receiver with a very similar skill set uh, to Devontae Parker in Mims and he uses him accordingly. Um I, it's impossible to predict his production because that almost entirely relies on Sam staying healthy and developing. And it re entirely relies on Adam using him the correct way and giving him snaps. So uh, can he be ultra productive and be an 80, 90 catch receiver with 1200 yards and 10 touchdowns and be a pro bowler? Yeah, absolutely. Will he? Um, we just kind of have to hope for it. We said before that he has little bits and pieces of a bunch of different receivers in his game, but if you had to nail down one wide receiver that you would compare him to most closely, who would it be? I would say DeAndre Hopkins with, with worse hands but better deep speed, if that makes sense. I can say this fairly confidently, Brett, on behalf of all Jets fans. If Denzel Mims can become DeAndre Hopkins with worse hands and better deep speed— 
I will be a very happy man. I'm pretty sure all Jets fans are going to be extremely happy. Brett Coleman, the host of The Film Room on YouTube. There's a reason this man has 250,000 subscribers to his channel, and it's because he has the perfect blend of excellent production and fantastic football knowledge. If you're not watching his videos, you absolutely should be. He's got two great ones that have come out fairly recently. One of them on the aforementioned Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims Sleeper Superstar is the name of the video. If you're a Jets fan, you absolutely need to watch that. And of course, his draft day review where he talks about how he thinks the Jets hit a home run in the draft. How often are you going to hear people outside of Jets fandom saying things like that? So you want to go and watch those two videos and all the rest of Brett's videos because like I said, they're entertaining, they're well-produced. And they will help enhance your football knowledge. Brett, as always, thank you so much for coming on. Always love talking to you. For those that want to see your videos, that want to interact with you on social media, and who maybe want to get a better idea of the videos that you have coming out, what do you got going on? Where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me in all social platforms at Brett Coleman. B-R-E-T-T. And then Coleman is spelled kind of funky. It's K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N. Uh, and then I'm, I'm currently kind of switching gears, going back to true film room episodes. I got one coming out on Jalen Rager to, uh, soothe Eagles fans everywhere. Cause I think that was a better pick than maybe given credit for. And then, uh, I'm going to be hitting up Daniel Jones, and Jameis Winston. There's a whole lot of topics I, I got to cover, uh, this off season, but I'm expi- excited to get to them and, uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Make sure that you check out his YouTube channel. Check out his podcast with EJ Snyder. It's called the Bootleg Football Podcast. You can find it on iTunes and anywhere else where you download podcasts. Follow him on Twitter, all social media platforms. Like I said, his content is second to none. If you haven't given this show a five-star review on iTunes, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money. But if you could do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.